0: Welcome to my testimony and today, Dawn, we have a very special guest, one of yeah. our good friends from Plantation Church, Tamara Dawes. Tamara, welcome to my testimony.
1: Thank you. Pleasure yeah. to be on. Awesome.
0: Yeah. Yep. awesome. And uh, we're looking forward to this testimony and uh, we have shared before and I know that our viewers are going to be blessed. So yeah. um, it's good to have you on and um, it's going to be a, a joy and a good testimony today. So welcome awesome. again. Thank you. Before we get into uh, Tamera's testimony, let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful day. We thank you for my testimony. And we thank you for all the testimonies that has been shared. And as Tamera shared her testimony today, we just pray that the Holy Spirit would just be with her and our souls would be water and uh, we'll be blessed. And all of the viewers watching will be drawn closer to you, we pray in Jesus' name.
2: Amen, amen. Amen. All right, Tamara. So let's hear a little bit about you.
0: Yeah, a little where history.
2: Are you from, etc. I start at the beginning. So I'm from Jamaica.
1: Um, what else? It's hard for me to introduce myself because.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, so I'm from-
0: tell, us, tell us, tell us, I know where you're
2: born, where you're raised. Were you always in church activities, etc.? Just a little bit about yourself. So
1: I was brought, born and raised in Manchester, Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been in the church. I got baptized when I was eight years old. Oh, yeah. And of course, like most people, you become a teenager and you're not doing stuff that you're supposed to be doing as a Christian and you leave the church, mm-hmm. but the church never leaves you.
3: Mm-hmm. That
1: foundation has always been with me. Mm -hmm. and i'm so grateful for it Mm -hmm. um went to northern caribbean university where i have a bachelor's i did a bachelor's in um in history Mm -hmm. then i went to um fau did a paralegal course Mm -hmm. went to saint thomas university i'm still attending saint thomas university i have a master's of law degree in intercultural human rights law Mm-hmm. And I'm completing a doctorate degree in the same. I'm almost finished. It's mm-hmm. basically basically a human rights law degree.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So I enjoy human rights. It's not something that I do serve in the community. It's something that's a part of me, something that I am, I'm, you know, who I am. Mm-hmm. i remember growing up my sister and i used to tell our mom that you're still giving you know you're always helping people people are going to take advantage of you mm-hmm. and we laugh now because my sister and i are both humanitarians to the fact that i am completing a doctorate degree in that mm-hmm. area in that area well so it's yeah it's a part of our dna and i love it
2: why did you choose that? I- why did you choose? That? yeah why did you choose that subject
1: you know, I've always loved law. That's my passion. Okay. But I've always loved people as well. And growing up in Jamaica, I remember my last year in college, um, there was a man, Ivan Barrows. He was locked up in prison for 29 years for breaking the window off of um off a bank. He was having a schizophrenic episode, mm. and he was basically lost in the system. He was raped. So many bad things happened to him. And my minor in law, um, in my undergrad was pre-law. And I remember just thinking, this is so unfair. How can someone be locked up for 29 years for simply breaking the window of a bank Mm. and, you know, get lost in the system? And there was an organization. I forgot the name of the organization now. However, they contacted an attorney who was able to get him um, out of jail. Um, He was able to get some money from the government, but he died shortly after. And I just remember thinking that it's just so unjust. This should never happen. Mm. So ironically enough, my dissertation is based on Jamaica's legal system mm-hmm. and its impact on people who are mentally incapacitated. Mm-hmm. It's so sad that people have been locked up since the 1960s who have been deemed unfit to, to be tried. Mm-hmm. So basically a life sentence in Jamaica is 30 years. Mm-hmm. So you have people that are doing more than a life sentence for some time for minimal crimes, such as breaking the window of a bank. And I just think it should not happen.
2: Right. Wow. Right. Wow. Wow. I can see why you have that passion. Yes. So what brought you to America? Why not stay in Jamaica and do that?
1: Uh, Opportunities, law school, um, just so much. I realized I could, you know, do more here. And it's weird how sometimes the Lord puts you in situations that Mm -hmm. you... Foresight is something that we do not have as individuals, right. but God sometimes, you know, he works things together that we would not understand his ways. And I also see where I I matured so much, you know, being in America, I've grown so much, I've accomplished so much more being here than I would have accomplished in Jamaica. I don't think I would have completed a doctorate degree. I don't think I would be able to do the area of law that I am I am currently doing. I know I wouldn't be able to. Um, St. Thomas University, their world-renowned human rights law program is amazing. Um, For that, the LLM program, you have a professor from the UN. So every subject you do is a different professor that is in that particular field that works for the United Nations or a related organization. Wow. So you're getting like the top of the top education for someone who has experience in that area, gotcha. which also helps to direct you in the area of human rights law that you want to pursue. Right,
3: mm. right. Wow.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. So your journey coming from Jamaica, yeah. uh, you got to the United States. Uh, did you come to Florida at first or you went to a different state before?
1: No, I went to a different state i've lived in a couple of different states too (laughs) i've lived in florida i've lived in new york i've lived in minnesota i've lived in michigan
0: okay but i've
1: enjoyed yeah i've enjoyed it living here
3: okay Okay. it's
1: been an amazing journey all
0: right so tell us a little bit about your journey so you got to florida um went to school and then uh you started to have a family and then um some some things starting to happen so take us upon that
1: so the the lot we're 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 making a big jump from yeah. me being here to me having a family, and I you know, right. so jump we jump. Take so. it slow. We can take it slow.
0: We, we can take it so, back a little bit.
1: Okay, so we can jump to my having a family. So my first son Zachary, he's eleven years old. Well, He's ten years old, and he's just the joy of my life, my Mm. first love, Mm. (laughs) if Mm -hmm. I put it that way. Yes. He's just an amazing kid. So my first child, and I'm just happy to see how God is using him. As you know, he preached at church last Sabbath, and just to see him, Mm -hmm. to see him delivering God's word, to see how enthusiastic he was about practicing for the sermon. Mm. It's just amazing. Yesterday I was um, going through a little situation and he found some amazing Christian songs and sent it to me, and I was like, "What a child!" You wow. know? Wow. Yes, he's just. I'm just praying that God continues to cover him mm. for him because I see where he's going to be an amazing humanitarian as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm loving that. Um, and then, so Andrew and I have been together for more than ten years, just about ten years. So, and then our second child is me. It was Mia. Mm-hmm. She died out after being after two months old. Mm-hmm. Um, she was vaccinated, and within twenty four hours of being vaccinated, she went into respiratory distress, and she was on life support for a few days and died. Mm-hmm. And that's another chapter in my life that you question God, you know. Mm-hmm. So since Zachary was three years old, he wanted a sister. Ironically enough, he named her Mia. He used to watch a little cartoon and one of the little girls in there, her name was Mia. So he named her Mia. Mm -hmm. And when I Googled it, Mia means the wish for child or the love child. Yes. He's amazing at giving names. So Jake or, or, well, our new baby, I'm going to jump and then go back. So we have a son. He's now three months old. Well, three months old. Mm -hmm. His name is Andre Jake Scarlett. So Mia was Mia, Joanne Scarlett, which means, Mia means God, um, the wish for a love child.
3: Right.
1: Um, Joanna means God is gracious. So about a year, in 2019, Zach was like he wanted a brother and he wanted him to be named Jake. And my friend Eliana and I, I were laughing about it and we were like, Zach knows how to preach these things into existence. <laughs> right. <laughs> Jake means the replacement child. Oh, it wow. also means God is gracious, which is what Mia's middle name, Joanna, means. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so there is that connection. Their both of their middle name means God is gracious, but to step it up a notch, Jake also means a replacement child. Oh,
3: wow. wow.
1: Yes. Wow. So I'm telling you, like, this whole thing is, like, divine. <laughs> it's just so ordained to be this way. Wow. So I'm going to go back to Mia. So Mia was just... I prayed for a child, you know, we wanted her for so long. We all when I was pregnant with her and my house was a battlefield, but in a good way. Mm. Zachary wanted to name her Mia. Andrew wanting to name her Angelique. So they were boys. <laughs> right.
3: there was
0: so, always- so the two the two the two men in your life were fighting. <laughs> Over the next.
1: Absolutely, and it was daily <laughs> until Zach would cry, would cry and say, "Daddy, it's not all about you." Her name is not going to be Angelique.
3: <laughs> wow. wow! But in
1: the end, Zach won. <laughs> wow. And we named her Mia, but Andrew would still call her Angelique. Mm. Um, my pregnancy was high risk. I had had um a couple of miscarriages before, so they um, and then I developed. In my six when i was six months pregnant with her i developed high blood pressure Mm. by a month later i was you know i was monitored like i had to go to the doctor twice per week Mm. within a four-week period Mm. a month later when i went to my regular OBGYN, my blood pressure was about 216 over something wow so they sent me yeah so they sent me so that was my second hospitalization so when i was six months pregnant with her my blood pressure was high at a regular doctor's visit and they sent me to the hospital And I was hospitalized for a few days Mm. and I was put on high blood pressure medication Um, and then I was really discharged. So for that whole month I was monitored. And then a month later when I went back to just my regular doctor's visits, my blood pressure was really high. So again, I was sent to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And the good thing about my pregnancy with Mia is that we always went to her doctor's visit as a family. Oh, okay so Andrew and Zach and I went to the hospital together and when we got there the doctors were like we have to take her out because the uh, my blood pressure was so high that it could rupture the umbilical cord and both of us could die wow. and by that time yeah by the time she was already two centimeters dilated so Andrew mm-hmm. was looking at me and I was looking at him like what is happening here yeah but she was you know, she was delivered, and she was okay. Um, she was okay. She was premature. She was 33, 32, 33 weeks in two days. Um, mm-hmm. Three pounds, two ounces. Beautiful mm-hmm. little baby girl. Mm-hmm. I remember, um, after having her, um, the NICU just like they showed her to me because my room was full with so many people. There were people from the hematology department because they were afraid that I was gonna bleed out. Mm-hmm. There were people from the NICU. There mm-hmm. were my OBGYN. There was a lot of different teams because there was so much going on with us, and they wanted to make sure that she was okay so they basically just showed her to me and mm-hmm. then took her away mm-hmm. and i will i had to be in the bed for um 24 hours
3: mm-hmm.
1: because my blood was thin and they had to give me a blood thickener and there was a lot of stuff going on with me so they had a camera in her incubator which is the way that i saw her for the first day
3: mm-hmm. but okay.
1: the they brought me a photograph of her shortly after mm-hmm. so at least i had that photo to look at but andrew he was sitting in my bedroom and he just had his his phone looking at the camera just amazed that every sound she made every move she made it was like he was in love for the first time even though that's not his first child wow (laughs) but you know in the islands we have where our wash belly is just so endeared to us right (laughs) at that time she was the wash belly oh
0: wow right
1: yeah right so that was like such a precious thing. And um, so she was in the NICU for 26 days and then she was discharged. After coming home, um, we went to the doctor just for a few times just because um she was constipated. But other than that, she was in really good health. Uh, when we took her to her 2 months old appointment for her vaccination, the doctor was just amazed because – um. From the time she was re- released initially from the hospital to being home, she had already doubled her weight. Okay. Her
3: cognitive
1: yeah, her cognitive development was on point. Mm-hmm. She was just doing everything a regular two month old should do. And I remember when they were going to give her the vaccine, I, you know, I specifically said, "Do you remember that she's a premature baby?" And you're like, "Yeah, we re- re- remember." And the doctor and I were, you know, we were joking around because even like her navel was a little bit um sticking out, and he was like, he's from Colombia, and mm. he was joking around and said, don't make your mom like put a coin on her navel now and wrap a band around it to try right. to keep All it right. out. Like
0: the island style, right?
1: <laughs> exactly. Right. So I remember we laughed about that, and they vaccinated her, and she was fine, and I rem- after we left the, um, the doctor's office, I called the church and um, asked Joanne when was the next baby dedication, mm. and she said it was that Sabbath. So Mm -hmm. we went on a Wednesday. So we only had a few days to prepare. Mm -hmm. So we went shopping for her, for her dress to be dedicated in. And the day was just a normal day. She was a little bit sleepy, but that's, you know, that's her by nature. I have quiet children, thank God. Mm -hmm. So she's, you know, quiet by nature. So there was nothing unusual in her behavior. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, at six o'clock the following morning, Mom took her up to feed her, mm. and but I was still asleep. When I woke up at nine, mom said to me, um, you know, Tammy, I was going to come wake you up because after feeding Mia, she had her hand up in the ear like this, five fingers up. And she's like, I've never seen a two-month-old baby do that before. Mm. And we were laughing. Mm. And we we're like, look at Mia praising God. Not knowing that a few minutes later, disaster was strike. Oh, wow. So I fed her. Then um I took her from mom and I fed her because I was nine. And I had her on the sofa in Zachary's room and I had her here on my chest after I fed her for maybe 15, 20 minutes, you know, just soothing her back and stuff, trying to make sure she burped. And there was a few times when she had like the form- the milk- breast milk would um come back through her nose like a reflux. I always hold her up for a lengthy period to make sure her stomach is settled before putting her down. Right. So Zachary, um, I I had just, I told Zach to, you know, go find a, try try a pants on to be, you know, because we were trying to get, make sure everything is prepared for the dedication. And he did. And he went in the kitchen with mom and I was still in the room with Mia and I got her a bassinet and put it on Zachary's bed. And as I put her down, I was still standing beside her when I heard her like cry a little bit and I picked her up. And when i picked her up i walked to the bathroom with her and i was holding her down like this face down her like this with her tummy face um her face down
3: mm-hmm.
1: and i suction her um suction her nostril once and there was a little bit of mucus um come out of it and i could like still see the tear like drop a drop of tear at the corner of her eye and mom say hand her to me and this was seconds by the time i turned around and had her to mom mom was like baby girl is turning blue oh wow so i told mom, you know, I started taking her clothes off while I'm doing CPR, and to do CPR on her. I called, um, mom was calling, dial night Well, I told mom to call 911, but she gave me the phone because she couldn't see well, so I called 911. And while I had them on speaker, I was doing compressions. When I did the first 20 compressions, her body was still. When I did the second 20 compressions, her body made like a spasm, like she was gonna come back to, but it didn't happen. When I started doing the third set of compression, blood started coming through her nose and mm. her mouth. And then the paramedics came in. Okay. Um, I don't know. When I was working on her, like, I didn't cry. I was just like, you know, you're just trying to you're save your zone. child's life. So like
2: in the zone.
1: Exactly. I wasn't freaking out or anything mm. like that. Yeah. But afterwards, after the paramedics came in, I just broke down and I was like screaming my head off. Mm. And while they were working on her, I ran to my neighbor's house and knocked on her door and told her that, you know, I'm going to the hospital with me because my, my mom had cu- come from Jamaica exactly a week to that date. Mm. So that was a Thursday morning and my mom had just come from Jamaica the Thursday before. So I knocked on my neighbor's door and I told her to make sure mom was okay or mom didn't have a cell phone, so make sure mom could use the phone and then... Mm. I went to, they wouldn't allow me to go in the ambulance. So I, a police officer took me to the hospital. Okay. And while we were at the hospital, I remember, um, they were taking photos of her. Like you see on crime scene, you know, in the movies. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why are you taking a picture of my baby? She's not dead or anything like that. And they're like, they have to do it to preserve evidence. Okay. And yeah, I remember asking the nurse, you know, why isn't my baby moving?
3: Mm. And she
1: said they brought her in like that. Mm. So they did a CAT scan, and that came back okay. But mm. the nurse said, uh, usually the first one is inconclusive. It's saying her brain is normal, but they don't really count that one. Mm. By the time they took her upstairs on the NICU, um, the doctor explained to me that when they stuck her in her, in her leg with the EpiPen, So it didn't go in her vein. It went in the bone. So this is like hours later, her leg was turning black and they wanted to amputate her leg. Yes. Mm. So I'm like sitting on the ground and I'm crying because like none of it made sense to me like How could I brought bring my daughter to the to the pediatrician the day before? And he's saying she's in perfect health. And 24 hours later, this was nine o'clock Wednesday morning. She was brought to the pediatrician. Mm -hmm. And nine o'clock starts in the morning, I'm fighting to save her life. Some you know, I'm telling the doctor, just call her pediatrician. I just went took her to the doctor's office yesterday, and he said she was okay. Like, I don't understand what's going on. And, you know, she sat we sat on the floor together, and she she came down to my level and we were talking, and she's like, you know, at this point, you know, we just have to, if we have to amputate her leg, we just have to do that. But we have to try to save her life, which is more important than the leg. And I'm like, you know, just see if you can do what you can do to save her leg. So after that conversation I had to meet with the detectives in a room cuz mm-hmm. apparently when something happens to a baby yeah. you know a lot it. of people have hurt their children right. so it was an open right. investigation right yeah. So I remember blaming myself and I'm like, you know, I just fed, breastfed her. Maybe I didn't make her burp properly. And he's like, no, we looked at everything in your house. You know, everything was perfect. You have the right size bottle. You have the right size. Um, you know, she was in the bassinet there. You know, it's not your fault. Don't blame yourself. And I didn't even know at the time that when they came to,
2: hmm. when the primaries came in. Wow. They checked.
1: Wow. Yeah. they The paramedics didn't have um, a baby ma- oxygen mask. They had an adult size mask. Oh. So when they put the oxygen on her, there were blotches on her forehead. Right. So that was another thing for investigation too. Did we hurt her? And I didn't even know that until I read the police report later that that's one of the reasons we were being investigated. Mm. So they had to keep on, uh, continue doing um, just the com- chest compressions on her. So it's like everything that could have gone wrong that morning went wrong from the vaccines to her being stuck in the leg with the epipane rather than in the vein. Wow. So the one oxygen mask was an adult-sized mask that it couldn't even give her oxygen mm-hmm. properly. So she was really out of oxygen for 20 minutes. Oh, wow. So even though they were able to finally get a pulse and get her heart beating, she was out of oxygen for so long, she was declared brain dead.
3: Mm-hmm. So. Wow
1: yeah so vaccinated on wednesday thursday we were you know the she went into respiratory distress by friday we were told that she was brain dead but um a second doctor had to declare a final if she was you know two doctors have to sign off that somebody's brain dead right so on saturday the second doctor signed off that she's brain dead and i'm telling you like i couldn't i couldn't understand what's going on I'm telling them that I watched too many movies I've seen where they say that people are you know are dead and they're not dead and I'm like God can restore her
3: right mm. right
1: meanwhile um the church plantation is just an amazing church because for the four days she was on life support every day someone from church was there mm. Pastor Joel was there every day sometime he was there before we were there mm. he dedicated her in the hospital and he was just God sent because he was there as a pastor, but he was more there as a father because his wife, um, they had their two year her daughter was two years old at the time, mm-hmm. and she was nine months pregnant.
3: Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, she was. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: So as a father, he was so empath you know empathetic. And he was the right person for Andrew as well because Andrew is an introvert. He doesn't really talk much, but Pastor Joe is also an introvert. Mm. So he was able to see what was going on with Andrew, stuff that Andrew would not say. But he could reach him. So it was, it was, it was a very dark time in our life. Mm. But through that time, you could still see the hand of God with everyone that rallied around us and everyone that prayed, prayed with us. You know, my aunt works at the conference in the Cayman Island, all the pastors, there were praying for her. Mm -hmm. You know, there were people at plantation praying for her. There were people in Jamaica praying for her. There are people all over the world praying for her, but you know, Vanessa said it right when she said, God says no. Mm -hmm. And we don't understand why he said, no, there were so many people praying for her, but through her foundation, I'm beginning to understand God's ways And I'm seeing her more as an angel than as my child. She was here for such a short time, Mm
0: -hmm.
3: but she's
1: had such a big impact.
3: Right, right. Mm Wow.
1: So, do you want me to tell you a little bit about her organization? So, since she.
2: Before you talk about the organization, you've now gone through this process with her, uh and she's died out of that darkness how do you decide i'm gonna do something like this Mm -hmm. how do you make that step from there to like i just lost my child to let me do something in her memory
1: it's painted forward Mm. there were so many i'm kind of getting teary but um that's okay you go through something like this and you realize you're not going through it alone yes Mm. There are like so many people that reach out to me. Like, I didn't even know I had two neighbors that had lost their children. My neighbor Mm. in my, I live in a townhouse and my neighbor, like two doors over, she had lost her baby. Um, Her daughter was two months old when she died, Mm. eight years prior to me dying. Right. And when she talked to me, it was like, it, it, it had just happened yesterday for her, even though it had happened for so long. Yes. My neighbor in the next building, her son and our sons play together all the time. And I know her husband fairly well, but I didn't know her. And I didn't know that the year before Mia passed, they had a daughter that only lived for three days. She, yeah, she was born with no um, bone in her chest. So mm-hmm. three days after being born, she had a heart attack and died.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: At Plantation, there's like a couple of other women that reached out to me that you know Deborah had a a baby that was born at stillbirth at nine months old right um there's someone else and I cannot name her because it's something personal for her Mm -hmm. but maybe 20 years ago she lost a baby Mm -hmm. that was six months old and she took me under her wings like the baby that she lost and she was just so supportive you know right
3: yeah
1: so it's the fact that all these women that went through this reach out to me to help me that to let me know that you know this is not unique to you. It's a club that nobody wants to be a part of. Right, right. But mm-hmm. you're not in this club alone. We are here to support you and to open themselves up and their feeling because when something like this happens to you. You want to get past it. And the fact that they were able to relieve that pain for me mm. so that I didn't have to go through this alone was so significant. Nice. So much so that I started a group, a WhatsApp group with other mothers that have lost their children. Mm. I actually <laughs> met another mother who 10 years ago, her daughter died from the exact same vaccines that me received. Mm. <laughs> And she explained to me her journey, you know, just the hurt she felt. Um, and even after having another child, and I've seen that with all the other mothers that have, have child after their their child that died. Like, mm. it doesn't take away the pain. No. You know, a lot of people would say to me, go have another one. As if it's a pair of shoes, you're going to go buy in a right, store. You know, right, right, right.
3: right. Nope.
1: And I know it's not coming from a bad place because they don't understand what they're saying. Mm. But um, when you talk to other people that has gone through, my sister has um, has a friend, and um, twenty years ago she lost her daughter. She was six months old, and then she has two sons. And a few months after Mia died, she lost her other daughter. She was born stillbirth. Wow. 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 Yes. So she lost two daughters, and she and she has her two sons in between. But you know, it's it's. Those women that has helped me, like we form a bond that has, you know, I can't explain to you how many women I've, I've met, she, you know, there's another mother at Zach Soccerfield that she lost her daughter at six months. too. But there's so many of them that I've met that I never knew about before that has helped me to walk this, um, this journey. So. Out of all that pain, you realize that you know there's a purpose for it. You're not alone. God still sends people to comfort you. Yeah. So I, and um, so Mia died May 2018, and in January 2019, I took Zach to PE at um, Village Multipurpose Gym, and the supervisor there she knows of my human rights law background, and she asked me to speak to she saw some youths that were vulnerable because there were people lurking in the park that didn't belong there. And Mm. she wanted me to talk to them about um, human trafficking. So that is how um, I started doing more research about human trafficking, and my law school has a human trafficking academy. Okay. So I actually went back to the academy and got certified and stuff, so I can be more knowledgeable about this because you know human rights law is so it's so wide. Right. But I've actually gone back to get more education, and specifically in human rights law, uh, in in human trafficking area. So I spoke to them about um, human trafficking awareness, and then a month later, the city of Sunrise had um, their fair family resource fair and while I was there my law school partnered up with me and we had a table that we were educating people about human trafficking awareness and a young lady walked up to me she was a survivor of human trafficking and it was my first time actually meeting someone that this happened to you know -hmm. when you read about something because I didn't understand how this could even happen it seemed so far-fetched to me I grew up in such a sheltered life
3: Mm -hmm. that
1: when I finally met someone that this happened to me, I'm like, Oh my God, this is so heinous. This shouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. Then the more research I did, I realized that more than 50% of sex trafficking victims are children. Wow. Yes. And as a mother, I know what it's like to lose a child. And I would never want that to happen to anyone, Mm -hmm. but you see where it's so much in human trafficking. I mean, there's more than 40 million human trafficking victims worldwide and less than 1% are rescued. So prevention Mm -hmm. and awareness education is just so important. Yes. Yes. So it's weird how, so after doing that, those presentations, like the Holy Spirit kept telling me that this is what God wants me to do.
3: Mm.
1: And I remember every Wednesday night I would go to church and I would ask him to pray for me because I'm like, I don't understand how God could be so cruel as Mm -hmm. to take my daughter. And then he wants me to use her story to save other people's children. Wow. Wow.
3: Wow. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But the more I prayed about it, the more I realized that sometimes we choose a path, but God has something already chosen for us. Yes. And things happen to our life, good and bad that propels us into the direction that God wants us to be in. Mm. And I realized too that not only is this organization helping others, but it's helping my family and it has helped my family a lot. Just a smile on Zachary's face when he can tell people about his sister yeah. and this organization that represents yep. her is just mm. so it's just so amazing.
0: Mm. Yep, it is. It is.
2: So
1: out what of is, evil you can see is, the good.
2: What is the name of your organization?
1: It's called MJ Scarlett Foundation and it's um for me and Joanna Scar- um, Scarlett. Scarlet. Mm. And basically what we do, we educate kids, teens, and adults about human trafficking, um, how to protect themselves from perpetrators, um, and about online safety. Mm-hmm. We also um provide um counseling for survivors and mm-hmm. Patricia Gustafsson because huh, I'm pronouncing her name incorrectly. Patricia, she's from plantation. Yeah. Yeah. She is a volunteer therapist. Mm-hmm. And then we have Mel Cardo Blackwood. He has a, a company called hypertext web solution. Mm-hmm. He's a volunteer for um, information technology. Awesome. So we provide a lot of support to survivor victims, even though we primarily focus on education because we see where um, Florida is number three in the country for the most human trafficking, Mm. Broward County is very high in the in um, is one of the highest in the state of Florida for okay. human trafficking so much so that in August of this year Broward County just opened a specialist court just to target human trafficking, especially mm-hmm. in children.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So we also serve the homeless because more than 60 percent of homeless victims of homeless um, people become victims of trafficking. Mm. So we provide education to the homeless. Actually, we team up also with the Plantation 70 Adventist Children's Ministry.
3: Right. They
1: go downtown for a lot of days, twice a week to serve the homeless. And we partner with them where we serve with alongside them by providing um, care packages to the homeless, um, snacks, um, just different things to the um, to homeless to educate them about trafficking and also to provide for their immediate needs. Mm. Our workshops are free. We have a youth summit. Where we have four workshops each month. Um, the first one is for um, kids eleven and under. Then we have two workshops for um, ages twelve to eighteen, and then the last one for the month is for adults. It's either a pre-recorded workshop, where or a live workshop. Sometimes we have survivor victims tell their stories, mm-hmm. so people can understand what really happens in the life of um, a, a human trafficking victim. Mm. Okay. Um, what else do we do? We do so much, but basically we just do a lot of community service to serve the homeless and the needy. Because sometimes you'll see that people are vulnerable to trafficking. You don't want to wait until they get there,
3: right?
1: Right. So yeah. we mm-hmm. do a lot to serve the needy in the community. Where we each week we distribute food to needy people in the in the community, mm-hmm. um, or care um, hygiene products as well. Um,
3: mm-hmm.
1: I've met so many single mothers that need help that it just really breaks my heart. Um, Last year, someone called me and asked me if I can give them some food. After seeing me post on Facebook that I had some food that I distributed. Okay. So I went to give her the food, and she asked for money for, to buy gas. And Andrew actually volunteered to give me the money to donate to her for gas. And I remember when I looked on her car, it looked kind of like somebody was living in, in the car, but I, you know, I didn't want to ask her that. Right. So I asked her, are you still living at the same place that you were living at? And she said, yeah, yeah I'm living at the same place and everything is okay. Mm. Somehow that night, um, it didn't sit well with me, one woman. One my knows.
3: <laughs> so
1: that night, um, something didn't sit well with me. So um, the following, and I woke up early, and it was a Sabbath morning. And I said, Andrew, I think something is wrong with her, but she doesn't want to say. So he said, if you feel so strongly about it, how about you go drive by her house and see if her car is there? Mm. When I went there, I didn't see her car. And my spirit said, go back to the parking lot where you saw her. And when I went there, oh, my God. She was sitting in the front seat of the car. I remember her legs up, and she was eating a cold chicken wing. And her daughter and her dog were asleep on the back seat. Mm. And I remember I'm just standing there and I'm just crying. And I couldn't stop crying because this is somebody that I know. This is a respectable person in the community that I look up to. Mm. That was living in her car. And when you think about the homeless people, you think about somebody out there, not somebody that you know.
3: Right,
1: Mm. right. This was new for me. And I'm like, why didn't you ask for help? But the church that she goes to, not our church. She, and she's she's always volunteering and she serves a lot in her church mm-hmm. and she asked them for help but they talked about her and they did not help her oh, wow. so she became fearful to talk to anybody else to ask for help because of the fear of, of, of being embarrassed wow so we have to be careful what we say about people it instead is. of trying to help them as Christians
3: Yeah.
1: I was able to help, um, get help for her to so pay for a hotel for a couple of weeks, um, to give her food, to give her, her phone was off, to put her phone on so she could, you know, try to get different services. Right. And I'm happy that she's back on her feet.
3: Amen. So Amen. just
1: being out in the community, you meet so many people, a lot of vulnerable people that need help, that don't know how to ask for it. And you just try to find different ways of helping them. So that's one of the projects that we work on. Um, we're actually... Trying to get a special fund to provide emergency shelter for survivors. Because mm-hmm. sometimes, if someone, like I know that with Nancy J. Kahneman Center, if someone um, is, a, is a victim of trafficking, they want to find someone to put somewhere to put them right away right. until they're able to find long term housing for them. Okay. So, we want to be able to, to offer emergency shelter, whether it's to stay in a hotel for a couple of days or a couple of weeks until the person is able to find somewhere most, more stable to live
3: right right wow, wow.
0: Very good. beautiful and um wow. i know there's no replacement but god god gave you a rainbow baby talk about your you your son your new yeah family. all
1: my children are rainbow babies unfortunately unfortunately <laughs> <Wow. laughs> yeah. i've miscarried before zach yeah. after zach so i've had so many miscarriages <laughs> that they're all rainbow babies right but my final rainbow baby um Oh, boy. So Zach's fire come through a second time.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And first time he wanted a sister, he got it. Second time he wanted a brother, he got it. So is just amazing. You know, it was kind of scary at first because a lot of people don't understand that when you have a child and die and you're pregnant again,
3: yeah.
1: the yeah. post-traumatic stress is so real. I, you You imagine? question yourself, you know, is this one going to be okay, mm-hmm. you know? Am I you know it's questioning and my pregnancies are always high risk. Mm. So it's am I gonna even make it through this pregnancy? Mm. But he turned out to I had him at 39 weeks. He's the longest pregnancy I've ever had. Oh wow. Okay. Even Zach came at 36 weeks. <laughs>
3: uh-huh. Wow.
1: wow. Yes, yeah, so God was working something on this one. <laughs> mm. Right. So um, yes. And um after having him, it's the post-traumatic stress become even more real mm. you know you're looking at this new child who is such a joy to have but the fear you know is is this gonna happen again you know right. and mm. every time you know if if he ever the formula ever starts coming through his nostrils or something like that I remember once it happened, And I was just freaking out and I didn't even realize the terror that was on my face. And my mom was here and she took him from me. And then I just started crying and I'm like, mommy, I couldn't save Mia, you know, and I don't want this to happen to Andre. And she's like, you know, it was not your job to save Mia. And she started getting worried. She's like, what am I going to do? What are you going to do when I go home? Mm. But God provides And, you know, I started getting better and I, I, you know, there are times when I would feed him and he's okay. And I would just give him to mom because I don't, I didn't want to deal with the fear, Mm. but it was also good for mom because I didn't just lose Mia. It was a loss for her too, because she lost her granddaughter a week after meeting her. And, you know, we went through that together. So it was healing, not just for me, it was healing for mom. It was healing for Zach. It was healing for, um, for Andrew, mm-hmm. and actually, I'm gonna backtrack. Um So I was in the hospital with him for two days after having him,
3: oh, wow. and then
1: we went home for two days, mm-hmm. and then we were back at Jordan Major Hospital. Mm-hmm. And when we went to the emergency room, you know, Andrew and I, were there telling us they have to admit him. And Andrew and I were looking at each other, was like, you know, God, are you really doing this again? Mm-hmm. And I called Mom and I started crying, and Mommy's mm-hmm. like, you stop crying and don't make the devil win. Mm-hmm. And so he was in the hospital, I think, from the 6th of um, June to the 11th. So like from the Tuesday to the Friday, so like four days he was in the hospital. And it was really scary because, you know, he had um, trash in his kidneys. And, you know, we're just worried about him. And (sighs) it was just so scary. My friend Isha sent me a song. It's called The Blessing. And i remember i went in the bathroom at the hospital and i'm praying and i'm screaming to god and i'm like god this is not gonna happen again you know i'm thinking he's gonna be out in a few days now they're worried about problem with his kidneys and there was some abnormal abnormal tears in his kidneys that was not detected i'm in my pregnancy Mm -hmm. but during the ultrasound it was detected um, um while he was in the hospital but god is amazing
3: yeah
1: after we did the second um second ultrasound the problem was resolved on its own. Wow! So, and it's crazy because um, that morning before we went to do the ultrasound, Zachary prayed for him. I yeah. have a praying trial, I don't know how to explain <laughs> to you that. And yeah. when he prays, we, it's like, We've well, yeah. we seen him in yes,
0: action. We've seen him
1: in action. Yes, like all oh, heaven is coming down.
3: <laughs> Amen. Amen. Wow.
1: And, you know, when we were into the ultrasound, mommy's like, we're not even going to be worried about it because Zach prayed and we're going to leave it at that. Leave mm. it in God's hands.
3: Mm.
1: His ultrasound came Amen. back okay, and um, he's doing well. He's four months. He's very active, very alert. I mean, his laughter is like an adult laughter. He's just such a happy child, you know? Mm. He's a joy to have around. Amen. Like,
3: Amen. the
1: fear is is going away, and I'm beginning to enjoy him even more.
3: Good. Amen. Good.
1: So yeah. I was telling you that yesterday I was kind of a little bit out of it. So he has a cold. And yesterday I fed him and then I was giving him his medicine and his nostrils were a bit clogged up. Mm
3: -hmm. So
1: he started throwing up. So imagine you're throwing up and your nostrils are clogged up. You're not breathing properly. Exactly. So the fear started coming inside me for a second and I was going to call 911. 911. But then I saw that he started breathing improperly again. So I called my neighbor to come over and she was able to suction his nostrils. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, devil, you're a liar. Mommy was worried about what was going to happen to us when she's no longer here. Uh-huh. But my neighborhood, like my neighbors are my family, you know, mm-hmm. it's like a village.
3: Amen. And
1: God always has someone.
3: Yes, provides. Amen. He
1: does. Because the funny thing is that my neighbors are not usually home. That particular neighbor, she's a teacher and her husband is also a teacher. Mm. But her husband was supposed to have a surgery yesterday mm. and she took him to the hospital. And for some, whatever reason, his surgery was canceled. Mm. So but God did all that, you know, our lives are so connected. Mm. So they were home and I called them and they ran over barefooted to make sure that we were okay.
0: Wow. <laughs> Amen. Wow. God provides Mm -hmm. he did
1: he works it out before it even happened
0: yes exactly what would be your words of encouragement for young moms and for families who are going through or who have gone through what you have gone through
1: I would say don't give up on God Mm. you know sometimes it's in your darkest hours that he's there Mm. I remember when I was in the hospital and I was praying and and um, we woke up in the mor- that morning when after she was in the hospital, and Zach was like, "Mommy, um, pray." And I couldn't pray anymore because I prayed all night, mm-hmm. and I called Elder John at church, and I'm like, "Can you please pray for us? Because I prayed so much that I couldn't pray anymore." Right. And but it was in that moment of darkness, like I felt God's presence. Like the Holy Spirit was there with us. Like it never left us. Like in my darkest moment, that's when I felt God the most presence the most.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So I would just encourage anyone to like just know that you're not in it alone. Try to find someone that you can trust to talk to. Mm-hmm. And just trust God, you know, trust him even when it doesn't make sense. Because a lot of time it does not make sense of stuff that happens because we don't understand God's ways. So just trust him and hold on to him. And I am always available if someone wants to talk. Like I am, I, I share what happened to me because I survived because other people shared with me what happened to them. So Amen. I am paying it forward.
3: Amen. So
1: every day, no matter what happened, no matter who wants to talk, I make myself available to listen to anyone who wants to talk about this amen because we have to be our brother's keeper and we have to you know we go through this together as a village not by ourselves
2: amen amen how is your walkman with god now after all of this has happened to you
1: there are days when i question him still Mm -hmm. you know why right you know but I also know that God knows which buttons to push to get us closer to him. Mm -hmm. You know, what he does to you is not what he's going to do to me to get me to come close to him. So it's gotten better to an extent where I know that even when things go wrong, he is always still there. You can still have the Holy Spirit is just always there with us. So Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, my walk with God has gotten way better.
0: Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen.
1: And when I can see my seven, my Zachary baptized when he was seven years old, because he wants to go to heaven, you know, he wants to be with Jesus and he mm-hmm. wants to be with his baby sister. Mm-hmm. So you can see where with all that happened that was wrong, mm-hmm. our ultimate goal is to go to heaven. You know, this world is so temporary. Yes. So God knows what to do to get us close to him so that we can all get to our final destination, which is to be with him in heaven.
0: Amen. Amen man, wow, what a beautiful testimony and um yeah. just want we just want to um encourage you and just um as and and you know this already, but we'll we're gonna reaffirm it for you that you know that you're not
2: alone oh. and uh none
0: of us are alone, and God is in control
2: even in the darkest times yes yeah. yes yeah. right yeah. so
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend a sermon. Um, it's for you and for all of our viewers. It's um, it's called the Silence of God.
2: I'll send it to you. Uh,
0: we'll it put me. it in the link. Okay. Um, yeah. It's by David um, Ashrick,
2: yeah.
0: um, The Silence of God. It's a yeah. powerful s- sermon, and it um, it goes through when we face tragedies in our life, how God is there for us. Mm. So, it's, um, I think it's very relevant for this um, for this yeah. testimony to be connected with it. So before we go, um, tell us the uh, the website where people can find your your
2: organization. Okay. MJ,
1: Scarlett. Yeah. So MJ Scarlett Foundation. It's MJ 8org mm.
3: Okay.
2: All right. That's easy. And-
1: We're also on um, Facebook and um, Twitter and Instagram.
0: Awesome. Okay. Awesome. 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 And we'll put a link in the, um, in, the description. in the description below, so that um, Thank people you. can link to it also. So again, um, we just want to thank you so much for being. I know this was a tough testimony, a but as you said, you have um, made that commitment to, uh, to talk about it. Mm. And, and that's a beautiful thing. And that's where it starts, when we start sharing our testimony so that we realize it's not about us, but it's about us helping others mm. along this journey that we all go through. So uh-huh. just want to thank you again so much for being, to having the courage mm. to share your testimony with us today so
1: you're welcome all right all right all right,
0: all right so dawn yes, yes, you know the duties
3: <laughs> all right that's right.
2: Almighty oh, father what an amazing journey you've taken my sister on mm-hmm. and it's a very difficult one and i know there are many people that are hearing her testimony that have been on this journey too but I ask, Lord, that even in the dark moments of our life, that you continue to be by our side, you continue to be with Tamara she leads out with all the people that she will come in contact with through yes. this foundation, that she will bring you to them and that they will be able to understand that even though she's been through something so horrendous, that you are in the midst of all things and that you are able to bring beautiful things out of something that's so difficult. Yes. So continue to be with her and her family, Zach and Andrew, and new baby Andre. Continue to love and care for them and protect them. And continue to be with all of us, Lord, that as we continue this journey with you, that we would truly know that you are our God and we can be with you forever. This is our prayer in Jesus'
0: Amen, amen. Mm-hmm. All right, tomorrow. we'll see you around, you know. <laughs> You and Thanks Zach. Thanks for
1: having me. Uh, yeah,
0: you're welcome. You, 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 and Zach, man. You know, Zach, Zach's my little body, man. Every time I see him, man, I'm taking him a little bit, but in a good way. In a good. I way. know. I don't know. He, I know. I know. That's that's my boy right there. So. Yep.
3: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Our regards to um to Anju and um. Kiss, and the baby, and kiss the baby for us. All right.
1: We will. Thank you so much. All right. All
0: right. You're welcome. Okay. Take care. Yeah. Bye-bye.
1: Bye bye. Bye.